Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got a great news show for you this week. We had the big hacker conferences going on in Las Vegas, the annual uh, Black Hat and DEF CON conferences. They're back-to-back, two different hacker conferences. And there's always all sorts of stuff that comes out of that. Um, we've got a couple of those stories for you today, and so many we'll have to carry some into next week as well. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, several things. Uh, we're going to talk about how Mozilla, who's the, um, the corporation behind Firefox, uh, found a couple dozen rogue plugins that were tracking your web history. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about some of those, and we've got some more to talk to you about. Also, the FBI is warning banks of a potential global ATM heist. We'll talk a little about that. Uh, Google's under fire again, this time for tracking your location even when you said, uh, even when you asked them not to, even when you told them not to. Uh, again, we shouldn't be surprised, but always disappointed. Uh, I'll tell you about a series of sextortion scams and what that means, and uh, they've been very successful, and so uh, I want to make sure that you're at least aware of those things, and so for some reason you get hit by one, um, and it could be anybody, uh, you'll know what to do. And finally, uh, I'll tell you about how hackers at DEF CON uh, released a report, and they are attacking networks by exploiting technology from the 1970s. All right, first up, uh, Mozilla, known for Firefox, uh, has released a report um, that they are going to be banning, and they've already banned, actually, and deactivated some 23 different plugins that were tracking your web browsing history. Uh, And this is something that we talked about um, a few weeks back. Uh, These plugins, uh, ironically enough, many of them are supposed to be anti-tracking, safety, security plugins, um, but in reality... Um, they are tattling on you um, and rep- basically recording every website you go to and sending it back to some mothership for who knows what purpose. Uh, this is from a report from Bleeping Computer uh, from Lawrence Abrams, who we've had on the show before. Uh, and let me, just, uh, let me just read to you from this report from Bleeping Computer. Mozilla removed today 23 Firefox add-ons that snooped on users and sent data to remote servers, or a Mozilla engineer has told Bleeping Computer today. The list of blocked add-ons includes Web Security, a security-centric Firefox add-on with over 220,000 users, which is at the center of a controversy this week after it was caught sending users' browser history to a server located in Germany. At the time, Mozilla engineers said they would review the add-on's behavior, but following the initial report, several users reported other add-ons exhibiting similar data collection patterns, some of which sent data to the same servers where web security was also sending information. Quote, The mentioned add-on has been taken down together with others after I conducted a thorough audit of the add-ons. Unquote. Uh, Rob Wu a Mozilla browser engineer and add-on review told Bleeping Computer via email, quote, these add-ons are no longer available and have been disabled uh, in the browsers of the users who installed them, unquote. Uh, The bug report includes a list of 23 add-ons removed today in in Mozilla's purge. The bug report lists the add-ons by their IDs and not their names, although Bleeping Computer was able to track down the names of some add-ons. Besides web security, other banned add-ons include browser security, browser privacy, and browser safety. All of these have been observed sending data to the same server as web security. Other banned add-ons include pop-up blocker, quick AMZ, and also add-ons developed by users YT Tools, FB Tools, Dirty Little Helpers, and SSOIO. 
so they're still working on trying to find some of the other names. So it's kind of odd that Mozilla didn't release the actual names, but I guess it's a little bit moot since the, they've disabled these add-ons. So if you have these add-ons, I guess you don't have to worry because if, as long as your Firefox is being kept up to date, if you've got the latest Firefox browser, it's keeping itself up to date automatically, and these things should already be disabled. But if you find that these things are in there and disabled, this is probably why. So basically, to sum up, these these you know, when you install these these plugins, and I've recommended a handful that I think everybody should install. Um, they get special access to the web pages you're on. They have to to do what they do, right? I mean, if I'm a web security plugin, then I kind of need to see where you're going. But the trick is, some of these plugins that are probably all free, um, which doesn't necessarily mean make them bad. All the ones I recommend to you are free too, but they come from organizations that are either all, you know, that are altruistically making them free and have other business models. Um, but a lot of these other ones create these add-ons, and ironically, they they purport to be security ones. Um, and, you know, in some sense, it might make sense for them to pay attention to where you go, because if they know you're going to a bad site, then, you know, they would want to look that up and say, hey, that's a bad site and block it. But in this case, it seems obvious that what the sites are actually doing is assigning you an ID uh, so they can track you specifically uh, and then recording every place you go on the web and reporting that back up to some central database. That has nothing to do with security. <laughs> that has everything to do with tracking and probably selling or finding some way to monetize that information. So... Like I said a few weeks ago, it, you know, if you don't really need the add-on, don't don't use it. Uh, keep it as small as possible. The fewer add-ons you have, the fewer places there are for security and privacy breaches. Um, so, you know, I do recommend a few uh, that everybody that everybody use, like uBlock Origin, which is an ad tracker, and HTTPS Everywhere, and Privacy Badger, both from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, whose whole purpose as an organization, well, among other things, is to protect your privacy and your security. Uh, online. So um, those are really good ones. I still recommend those. Just keep it to a bare minimum. Only install the, the plugins to your browser that you really need. All right. In other news, the FBI has issued a very rare warning uh, to banks globally um, that they have reason to believe that there is an upcoming coordinated attack against bank ATM systems. Uh, from, the AT, uh, from what the, um, a the FBI said, they said, quote, the FBI has obtained unspecified reporting indicating cyber criminals are planning to conduct a global automated teller machine or ATM cash out scheme in the coming days, likely associated with an unknown card issuer breach. Um, and by the way, these things have been done in the past. And I'll talk to you about a couple of those in a minute. Um, and they're usually on weekends, right? Because that's when the banks are generally closed uh, and there are fewer people you know, watching the store, so to speak. Um, so they can kind of get away with more and have and expect a slower response time uh, from the bank. So I'm sure that's why the FBI issued this warning. This is kind of a rare case where the FBI seems to have intelligence ahead of time and is able to give banks a heads up that this is coming. So hopefully they can be prepared, you know, and maybe um, have some more people staffed up and ready for this sort of thing. So if you're curious, here here's how this basically works. First of all, they need access to some user accounts. So uh, they usually do this through the standard phishing techniques. They try to trick you into giving up your bank account details through, you know, um, you know, fake websites or uh, emails that lead you to malicious websites or sometimes even phone calls. Uh, and they want to get enough information that they can um, basically get access to your account. And from this, they can actually use a machine that can create a cloned copy of an ATM card uh, if they get enough information. So maybe they can get this information actually from uh, ATM swipers. There's a lot of really amazing hacks that, that these bad guys do at ATMs. They, I've actually seen 
uh, situations where they put an entire fake cover on the entire ATM um, and, you know, leaving the screen and to go through and some of the buttons, but they um, often, they also are very minimalist. They've actually just got a little thing that sits inside the ATM, inside the little slot where you put your card in and out that, that reads your information. There's lots of ways that these bad guys have done this and they've gotten extremely clever on how they do this. So anyway, so the, the first part of the scheme is they've got to come up with a way to clone a bunch of ATM cards. ATM cards will actually get them access to an account. And when they're doing these kind of global attacks, uh, they build up this data. They don't use it right away. I mean, they could, of course, just go and try to drain your account. That'd be one, that'd be one way to do it. But the real big payoff literally is the next step. So once they have, you know, these hundreds of accounts ready to go and these fake, uh, these fake cards ready to, to, to go, then someone needs to actually hack the bank, hack the banking software, and so they need to go into whatever bank um, they want they want to target and and turn off the software that limits how much can be pulled out of an ATM at one time, and that may be a limit on your account. You know how much you've set limits for how much could be withdrawn, or uh, maybe banking limits, like you know nobody at this bank could take out more than three hundred bucks at a pop, um, whatever, and and. Uh, or you're definitely not supposed to be able to take out more money than is actually in your account, right? There's various limits that are put in place. So the hackers figure out some way, and probably, again, through phishing, they probably compromised somebody at the bank and got into their system, and then were able to get into the banking systems. And they're ready to flip the switch where they're going to turn off this limit. And so now, through the dark web and, and other various means of contacting shady people, they basically put out the word saying, okay, this is it. It's all going down. You know, this weekend, we need 200 people in, you know, whatever countries around the planet to to take these accounts, clone these ATM cards, and get to as many ATMs as you can within a very small window, like sometimes within a few hours. And you basically go to the ATM, you you put the card in, this, the, the limits are now disabled, and they just can drain the ATM of all, its, all of its money. And then they can move on to another ATM and do it again. And there was actually a thing in London where they, they tracked these guys, and they just went to ATM to ATM to ATM in the middle of the night. And just drained them. Uh, there was a case uh, in 2011 where 14 million dollars was stolen within 48 hours around the world, uh, and there was a couple smaller attacks in 2016 and 2018 uh, at a particular banking system that stole about two and a half million dollars. Um, but it, you know the coordination is amazing. It's some sort of a crime syndicate or something they're organizing these kind of things, and they all hit at once. And then they all kind of go their own separate ways. So. Now, the real question is, what do you do about it? Of course, banks, hopefully with the FBI warning, are taking special precautions and they're they're on high alert. Um, but for you personally, what can you do? Well, um, obviously, watch out for phishing scams. Um, and that's P-H-I-S-I-N-G. That's, you know, when someone is trying to trick you into giving up information, passwords, account information, credit card numbers, uh, those sorts of things to you over the phone. And in this case, enough information that they can uh, create a cloned ATM card for your bank account. Uh, so, you know, watch out for those, including ones uh, from your bank or that appear to be from your bank, right? Um, certainly with these news stories flying, um, you know, they exploit these things to make when people are already scared and, and you know, pretend to be your bank and say, oh, hey, I'm your bank. We, we got this just in time, but we need some help, you know, to help verify your account or, you know, whatever. Um, and they really should never be asking you for this information over the phone. First of all, they should have all your account info, so you shouldn't have to give them anything. If you need to prove who you are. Um, actually, that gets to my next point, and that is, and this is maybe sound a little counterintuitive, but if you get one of these phone calls, if you get somebody calling you and saying, you know, uh, I'm here from the IRS or I'm here from your bank or whatever, and trying to basically get you to, to divulge um, 
your secret account information or enough information that would allow someone perhaps to uh, convince somebody at the bank that they are you and do an identity theft maneuver, uh, get their name, note the phone number that they called in on and hang up and then call you, whoever it was, call your bank or call the IRS back and say, Hey, I just got a call from so-and-so at this number. Was that really you? Um, if it was them, well, obviously then you can deal with it and, and go forward. Um, but if it wasn't then the bank's going to want to know. So that's information you can give them, uh, was the, the name that was used, um, who they said they were representing and whatever phone number they were calling from. I mean, now that number, that number was almost surely spoofed. Uh, in other words, that probably was not the real number. In fact, they may have been smart enough to, you know, make that number look like your bank's number that can be done. So, but anyway, uh, if, if you're ever starting to get suspicious before you get off the information, take, you know, take down their info and say, Hey, I'll call you back. And they should allow you to do that. There should be no reason why they should not. Right. Uh, so that would be another clue is if they didn't want to let you off the phone. Uh, a couple of things you could do. Uh, and I recommend you do this anyway, regardless, uh, for your bank accounts and your credit card accounts, and then really any of your financial accounts, almost all of these institutions now have places you can go when you log into your online account and go to your profile under security settings. Usually uh, there's a way to set up alerts on your account and you can set them up for all sorts of things and you, you can customize them. So, you know, set up alerts for whether, you know, for any transfer or withdrawal over a certain amount um, or just any, any individual transaction over a certain amount. I usually set mine to about 200 bucks, you know, which happens sometimes and I expect it, but um, you know, anytime I charge something, my credit card over 200 bucks, I want to know about it particularly because if, if, it's, if it's not me that's doing it, you know, be careful about how you set up uh, linking between accounts. Like I know a lot of people would like to set up links to avoid overdrafts. So they set up overdraft protection, um, but be careful how you set that up too, because, uh, you know, if they get into one account, they may be able to drain your other account as well by going over that limit and you know, going beyond what's in your account and getting in, you know, another account. So be careful with those things as well. All right, next up, another story about Google and tracking. Now, again, Google Google does some great stuff in the world of security. These guys are on top of it and have done some great work to help make their web browser and the web in general more secure, and I applaud them for that. However, their business model is advertising, and advertising means getting as much information on you as possible so that they can charge higher prices for the targeted and customized ads that they send to you. So unfortunately, that is a major conflict of interest. And, you know, despite what they say, you know, and what I'm going to, let me just read you this article. So this, this came from the Associated Press. They, they did uh, an expose on this. And basically what it comes down to is Google wants to track you in all sorts of ways. And they do let you tweak these settings to a certain degree. But as we'll, we'll see from uh, this particular case, it's not always what it seems. All right, reading from the article from the Associated Press, it says, Google says that pausing location history, uh, which is the setting I was telling you about, will, pre will prevent the company from remembering where you have been. Google's support page on the subject states, quote, you can turn off location history at any time. With location history off, the places you go are no longer stored. This isn't true. Even with location history paused, and by the way, they do call it pause. Like if you go to the setting, it's not on off, it's called paused. And you can pause location history, which is like 
really? Like, hey, why don't I just turn it off? Why is it pause? It's like, is it going to snap back some point without me knowing about it? Pausing doesn't sound permanent enough for me, but that's what they call it. And that's, that's actually a dark pattern, which uh, I need to get into that on some of these episodes at one point. Uh, anyway, we'll get back to that. All right, let me back to the article. It says, um, even with location history paused, some Google apps automatically store time-stamped location data without asking. For example, Google stores a snapshot of where you are when you merely open its Maps app. Automatic daily weather updates on Android phones pinpoint roughly where you are, and some searches that have nothing to do with location like chocolate chip cookies or kids' science kits pinpoint your precise latitude and longitude accurate to the square foot and save it to your Google account. The privacy issue affects 2 billion users of devices that run Google's Android operating software and hundreds of millions of worldwide iPhone users who rely on Google for maps and search. Google says it's being perfectly clear. They said, quote, There are a number of different ways that Google may use location to improve people's experience, including location history, web and app activity, and through device-level location services. We provide clear descriptions of these tools and robust controls so that people can turn them on or off and delete their histories at any time, unquote. To stop Google from saving these location markers, the company says, users can turn off another setting, one that does not specifically reference location information, called web and app activity and enabled by default, that setting stores a variety of information from Google apps and websites to your Google account. When paused, it will prevent activity on any device from being saved to your account, but leaving web and app activity on and location history off only prevents Google from adding movements to your timeline, its visualization of your daily travels. It does not stop Google's collection of other location markers. Now, you could delete these location markers by hand, but it's a painstaking process since you have to select them individually unless you want to delete all of your stored activity. You can see the stored location markers on a page in your Google account at myactivity.google.com. That's myactivity spelled out my and the word activity together, myactivity.google.com. Although they're typically scattered around several different headers, many of which are unrelated to location. To demonstrate how powerful these markers can be, the AP created a visual map of the movements of Princeton postdoctoral researcher, I'm going to get this name wrong, Gunez Ekhar, who carried an Android phone with location history off and shared a record of his Google account. The map includes Ekhar's train commute on two trips to New York and visits to the High Line Park, Chelsea Market, Hell's Kitchen, Central Park, and Harlem. To protect his privacy, the AP didn't plot the most telling and frequent marker, his home address. All right, so that's the end of the article. <sighs> Basically, Google wants to know everything they can about you. And again, I'm going to bring up this term dark patterns, and, the, and they use these dark patterns to obfuscate and in other words, make it unclear what they're doing to make it difficult for you to stop the tracking by couching it in terms that sound innocuous or helpful or positive, uh, by making it difficult to find all the settings, doing all these things that, that make it hard for just the average user to figure out. Now, if you've got, as one of the people in this article had said too, you know, if you've got something called location history and you can turn that off, you would think that would mean that your location history is off. You wouldn't think that to mean, oh, it only is one aspect of my location history, but this other parts of my location history are still being stored. And you, you might also think, okay, well, if I'm going to do Google Maps, they obviously need to know where I am. 
Sure, but they don't need to save that to Google's servers. They only need to keep that locally on your phone to show you the right place on the map, right? They don't need to save that information. They just need to have it, you know, long enough to put you on the map. So anyway, uh, you can go to myactivity.google.com and and I've said this multiple times before, but dive into all your Google settings, all your privacy settings. Some of them might not be called privacy settings. And unfortunately, you just got to find this stuff. And I went and looked at mine after this article and mine are still off. They're still paused, which <laughs> that term still just does not make me feel comfortable. Um, but they're still paused and I can look at my activity and they said there is none. So, you know, I, I hope that's true. Um, but of course, you know, there's nothing preventing them from showing you that there's nothing and still saving that data. We need regulation. <laughs> that's the only thing that's going to do this. But, um, you know, first thing, first things first, we need transparency and awareness. So that's why I'm here. I'm trying to make sure you're all aware. Uh, and then we could use at least some legislation that starts with transparency and make sure that we, you know, are these companies are forced to tell us everything they've got on us, who they're giving it to, uh, why they're collecting it, <laughs> you know, just, just, we need the knowledge so we could figure out what the policy should be. So first step, awareness and, uh, transparency. All right, next up. Um, hopefully you have not seen an email like this. Maybe you've talked to somebody who's mentioned it though. More than likely, if they got this email, they probably aren't telling anybody because that's kind of the nature of how these scams work. They're trying to embarrass you. Um, and they're in order to keep it quiet, they want you to pay money. So, uh, this was from an article from the EFF. So, um, uh, let me start by reading from this article that kind of gives you the background and what these things are about. And then I'll talk to you about, um, what you can do. I've also got an example email that I think is really telling. Uh, I'll, I'll read you an example of one of these emails so you can gauge for yourself if you had received this email, what you would have, uh, what you would have done and what you would have thought. All right. From the article from the EFF, you may have arrived at this post because you received an email from a purported hacker who is demanding payment or else they will send compromising information such as pictures, sexual in nature to all your friends and family. You're searching for what to do in this frightening situation. Don't panic. Contrary to the claims in your email, you haven't been hacked, or at least that's not what prompted that email. This is merely a new variation of an old scam, which is popularly called sextortion. This is the type of online phishing that is targeting people around the world and preying on digital age fears. We'll talk about a few steps to take to protect yourself, but the first and foremost piece of advice we have, do not pay the ransom. The general gist is that a hacker claims to have compromised your computer and says they will release embarrassing information, such as images of you captured through your webcam or your pornographic browsing history to your friends, family, and coworkers. The hacker promises to go away if you send them, a thousand, send them thousands of dollars, usually in Bitcoin. What makes the email especially alarming is that to prove their authenticity, they begin the email showing you a password you once used or currently use. Again, this still doesn't mean you've been hacked. The scammers, in this case, likely matched up a database of emails and stolen passwords and sent this scam out to potentially millions of people, hoping that enough of them would be worried enough and pay out the, uh, for the scam to be profitable. All right, so that's the end of the book. quote from the article. So... Um, let me read you one of these example emails, and you'll understand, I think, where this is coming from. And I'm sure that if you had received an email like this, you would be worried. Uh, here's an example of one of these emails. It says, I know password is your password. Of course, password in this case is one of your actual passwords. So some password that you've used in the past. Uh, you may not know me, and you're most likely wondering why you're getting this email, correct? In fact, I placed a malware on the adult vids porn material website. And you know what? You visited this website to have fun. You know what I mean. 
While you were watching video clips, your internet browser initiated operating as an RDP, a remote desktop, that has a keylogger which provided me access to your screen and also webcam. Immediately after that, my software gathered your entire contacts from your messenger, social networks, as well as email. What did I do? I made a double screen video. First part shows the video you are watching. You have great taste, by the way. And second part shows the recording of your webcam. Exactly what should you do? Well, I believe $2,900 is a fair price for our little secret. You'll make the payments by Bitcoin. And if you don't know this, search how to buy Bitcoin in Google. Okay, so you just got that email. And, and the password that it said was your password was one of your passwords at one point. You've used that password. You recognize that password. So now you're thinking, oh my God, this guy's got my password. I must really be hacked. No. So according to the EFF, what, what these guys are doing is they, they are probably getting real passwords that you've used at some point. This is from some previous data breach at some other, you know, maybe from Target or Home Depot or any of these other massive breaches that have already happened at these places. And maybe ones you've never heard of. And they managed to crack one of your passwords. And so these guys went off to the web where you can buy these things on the dark web and bought a password that was associated with your email account. And that's it. That's all I need. Um, in some cases, I think these emails have tried to use um, uh, phone numbers and other, and other things that, you know, it would, be, it would seem legit that they were somehow mapping these things to you and make you scared. That's all they're trying to do. So they're trying to come across as legit by providing information to you that supposedly only a hacker would be able to know. And since only a hacker could know it, now you're worried that you've actually been hacked. And of course, you may or may not actually go to <laughs> visit porn sites. But, you know, the fact that they're sending this to you and you think you've been hacked thinks, oh, my gosh, you know, maybe maybe they're framing me. Maybe they're making it look like I did these things. I don't know. Whatever. The whole point is it's, it's just a scam. Don't worry about it. Don't pay the ransom. Uh, here's some of the things that they... Um, the EFF says, they said, do not respond to the email. Do not pay the ransom. Uh, obviously, if you do use that password still anywhere, somewhere, go change it. You shouldn't keep using it because obviously somebody else has it. Uh, so make sure you change your password and use a password manager. Make it some crazy, long, unique password that you can't remember. Um, and of course, uh, enable two-factor authentication everywhere you can. Um, don't use SMS unless you have to, uh, but that's still better than nothing. Um, the ideal scenario is to use an authenticator app like Google Authenticator or Authy uh, that will give you a one-time six-digit pin code that rotates over time, like every, I think changes every 30 seconds or something like that. And you'll set that up. Uh, and then after you've logged in with your username and password, uh, if it's on a new device that it doesn't recognize, or maybe every 30 days or after some timeout, uh, it will re-challenge you for the two-factor authentication, which means that anybody who wants to hack your account not only needs your username and password, but they would also have some way to either access the device that has your authenticator app on it, or as we've seen, unfortunately, with SMS, go to great lengths to clone your phone and so they could get your text messages as well. Um, so that's why SMS is, is great, but it's definitely better than nothing. So two-factor authentication is also your friend here. All right, one more story, and I'll lead into our tip of the week. And this was from uh, DEF CON and Black Hat. Uh, and I will have more next week from that. I'll tell you about that toward the end of the show. Uh, but this one is an interesting one, and it's a it's very important one, actually. So listen up. This may affect you. Um, a security research company called Checkpoint, who's done some really great work in the past, uh, presented this uh, um, report at, uh, I think it was DEF CON. Uh, and they found two major security holes in HP all-in-one printer fax machines. But beware that it's, it's assumed that even though they just tested these on the HP and found them on HP printers, uh, these all-in-one fax printer machines, uh, this is likely to be found on other similar non-HP all-in-one printer fax machines as well. 
So basically all the attacker needs to do, all they need is your fax number. If they've got your fax number and your fax is working, um, they can send you a very specially formatted image. Uh, and with that image, <laughs> keep in mind, fax machines have been around since the seventies, right? Um, but with this specially formatted image, because your fax machine is an interpreter, uh, they can give it a, a special input that will cause it to be compromised. Uh, just by sending a fax to this fax machine, they can take over your fax machine. Now, if your fax machine is not a networked fax, fax machine, if it's not a fancy all-in-one printer thing that is on your network and connected to other computers and other devices, then it's not that big a deal. You know, it's not, who cares if a hacker gets into just a plain old standalone fax machine? What are they going to do? But nevertheless, if you have uh, one of these super duper home office or big office for that matter, fax machines, particularly HP, but really any model, uh, you could be vulnerable to this, to this attack. And of course, the real issue is not is not hacking just the fax machine. If you've got a fancy uh, printer fax um, that's hooked on your network, it's got a little computer in it. And if they can hack your fax machine, now they've got a computer that's hacked and doing their bidding within your network. Um, it's behind all your firewalls and some of these other protections that would normally keep them out. So now they've got a beachhead in your network and they can start to, from that machine, from your compromised printer, reach out and try to take over control of other computers or other devices that are in your network. And that leads, of course, to the tip of the week. What do you do about this? Well, first of all, make sure you know where all your fax machines are. If you've got a small business or a, a large business uh, and you perhaps have several of these devices around, make sure you know where each and every one of them are and what they're doing. If you're not using them, turn them off, unplug them. Um, if you are using them, but you very rarely use the fax feature, then just unplug the phone line so it's not connected to the outside world. You can just plug it back in whenever you need to send or receive a fax and generally leave it unplugged. Um, but the real solution is to go and find, uh, the software update for your device and hopefully, uh, keep it up and keep it up to date so that hopefully the manufacturers will find these bugs and fix them. Uh, and then when you get the software update, you'll be safe. So to get those updates, first of all, you, you know, you need to know the, the make and model of your printer. You'll have to, or yeah, your printer fax machine, you'll have to go online and look it up and look for the latest software. And everyone's different as far as how you update the software. Some of them now, actually, some of our printers now, including some of the HPs, have built in automatic software updates, which is fantastic. So uh, make sure that feature is turned on if you have it, and then they will automatically get the updates and download them, and they'll be good. Uh, otherwise, you may have to manually update them. Uh, and one more thing I'll suggest, which I've suggested before, which is never fun. <laughs> Uh, but give them your email address, register your products. Uh, I know, yes, you'll probably get a lot of junk mail from these guys and you can try to tone that down. There's usually settings. Uh, but the main thing you want to be sure of is that they send you notices when there's no vulnerabilities and there's software updates that you should be installing. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up another Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we've got some more DEF CON stories for you next week. We're going to talk a little bit about how... Um, the voting systems, uh, the voting systems in our country are so hackable. Um, that's one of the great services I, that these, these guys have been doing. They have a hacking village where they try to get their hands on as many, uh, voting systems and voting machines as they can. It's hard to do, uh, because these companies don't like giving them up. So they've got to buy them third hand or second hand and things like that. Um, and then try to hack them. And unfortunately, it's very, very easy. Uh, there was one of the stories that really made the headline. It was about an 11-year-old girl who managed to hack a replica of the uh, Florida Secretary of State 
website where voting tallies were kept and changed the voting totals. Now, that sounds sensationalistic, and it is, and I'll tell you why next week. Uh, we'll also talk about um, how you can use your Alexa. Or, ooh, oh, I always try not to say that word because it turns on everybody's echoes. How your Amazon Echo devices could actually be used to ward off burglars, and this is funny. So we'll talk about that next week along with other things, and I'll cover a couple more stories that we didn't have time to cover this week. And also, the third edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons will be hitting the shelves, I hope, in about a week, maybe two. So be on the lookout for that. You can actually pre-order it right now from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or, of course, my publisher, A-Press. Um, looking forward to seeing that. I'm really proud of the third edition that got like over 150 tips, I believe, in it this time around. It's really just it's so comprehensive now. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Of course, not for yourself. Maybe, maybe for friends and family. Uh, maybe for a good Christmas gift. So be on the lookout for that. And that's going to do it. So until next week, take care. And as always, don't get caught with the drawbridge down.